Great to see you this morning. Hey, thanks for venturing out. I know how uh, tempting it would have been just to kind of be nestled up in the house, watch online. And hey, if you are watching online, we're not ragging you. We're glad you're with us. Uh, But we are certainly glad to be gathered together in person as well. Uh, Just an encouragement to my heart. And if you're with us uh, today in person or online, uh, we're going to spend a few weeks uh, and we're just going to be really, I think, unpacking a prayer uh, that Paul was praying for the church of Colossae. And it's a prayer that as elders, we've memorized. It's one that we've been praying for our church over the Lord, really over the last about six months. And uh, we really just want to encourage you in that and want to just remind you of what it is that God's encouraging us and calling us to do. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read uh, about six verses together. We're going to pick up in verse 19 to 14. But I want to just, as you're turning there, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you in a handful of things um, as we kind of move into the new year. One, I want to challenge you this year. This is unrelated to the message. This is just a commercial. Um, To bring a physical hard copy of your Bible with you every single week. And here's why. Dads, I'm going to challenge you with something. I've challenged with you this full before. Um, I'll just tell you, every time I challenge guys, they look at me with a blank stare in the face, and I very rarely have anybody take me up on it. But I want you to take me up on it. This Bible that you have, this physical hard copy Bible, I want you to write in it so much that it is the greatest treasure that your kiddos have when you leave this earth. And so this Bible right here, I'm wrapping up on it. I've had it for the last couple of years. It's about to fall apart. It's literally coming apart at the seams, if you see it. Um, this is my oldest son's Bible. I'm about to buy a new copy, and I'm about to start working on another one. And so just so you understand, there's notes written in this that are addressed specifically to him. Every time that I, I'm studying God's Word, I write in it. If I'm listening to somebody else teach God's Word, I write in it. And so just from cover to cover, write in it. And so we're going to I'm giving you a heads up. What a, what a blessing. What a treasure. And so I encourage you to do that. Um, one other thing that I'm going to give you too, because as we, as we walk through things today, I'm going to give you so many notes as we go along today. It's, there's so many scriptures that it's, it's kind of hard to follow along, right? It's like, I can't keep up with you. You go too fast. And, you know, they don't leave the slides up long enough where I can see it, okay? So here's the deal. If you get you a pen and a Bible, you can write it down. And instead of writing all of Colossians you know, three or Ephesians, I reference, just put an E-P-H and then a chapter and, and then go back and look at it. And here's the deal. Tomorrow, we're going to give you the Stone Point News. If you're not signed up for it, all you got to do is go to stonepointchurch.com forward slash news. You can sign up in 10 seconds. It'll be in your inbox. Not only do you get the Stone Point News and a new version and edition of it that'll roll out tomorrow, but you're going to, from here on, you're going to get my actual notes. So the actual notes that I give you All the writings that I have, all my circles, all my highlights, all my arrows will just be uploaded for you. You can try to make sense of it if you can. And it'll be there for you to go back and reference. You can print them out. You can make all the notes that I know. Mark up your Bibles. So that's my my commercial. If you don't have Stone Point News and all the things that are happening, then, hey, go get that. StonePointChurch.com forward slash news again. Um, And then it'll be there. And then not only will that be there tomorrow, but on Tuesday, as we begin um, a study through Christ and His church this year, as we read through uh, various epistles and we have devotionals from our members, 
that will actually drop in your inbox on Tuesday morning and then again Thursday and again on Saturday. So all those will come to you at your email if you'll sign up for that. Cool deal? Let me pray for us and then we're going we're gonna to dive in and we're going to talk about a prayer for 2022. Cool deal? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Pray, God, that you would use it to encourage our hearts and remind us of your truth. Lord, for some of us, um, it's not a reminder. Maybe it's the first time we've ever heard um, what you desire for our lives. I pray, God, that you would make it clear, that you would enlighten our hearts, that you would open the eyes of our heart, give us understanding, give us wisdom, and take the mystery of the gospel and make it known to us uh, in a way that's clear, in a way that's precise, in a way that's helpful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. About a year ago, a little less than a year ago, if you remember, we had the snowpocalypse. Um, I, I called it snowvid. Um, and the reason I called it snowvid is because it was more snow than we've ever seen. Um, it was colder than it's been in a very long time. And then we all gathered in houses and we spread COVID together. Um, that's what we did. And so you had snowvid, but you remember snowvid. You had kids playing out in the pastures and we, uh, we had you know, all kinds of creative things going on. And then the kids would go in and they would be in tears because they were so cold. But one of the things I ventured out to do, uh, because I haven't been able to do this in 20 plus years, I mean, it's been since I was a kid, was to walk out on a sheet of ice. Um, our, our pond kind of lake had frozen over. And I'm like, hey, kids, come on, we're going to go for the journey. Now, when I do that, um, let's just go ahead and put an asterisk here. Everybody that's I think a female gets terrified about that. My, my, my wife is like, Brandon, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Um, I, I live on property where my parents are. And so across the way, like you can, you can walk out of the prawn and you can see my parents' house across the way. And as I'm walking out onto this sheet of ice, I can hear my mom, and she's not even with me, telling me all the reasons I shouldn't do it. Which, if you're a boy, you're like, I'm doing it, you know, like it's all the reason to kind of press on. Now, just to go ahead and just let you understand that I'm not that big of a hero. I did pick the shallow side of the pond, that if it didn't work out for this 240-pound guy, that at least I wasn't going to be like up to my ears in water. So, but nonetheless, my boys are watching on. I can hear all the voices in my head telling me why it's a bad reason to do it. But either way, I'm forging ahead. Now, there are a handful of you in here that you're like, oh, what's next? He's gonna fall through it. No, that's not it. I, I'm hoping that as I share this, you're going, man, what incredible faith. Our, our pastor is a man of faith. That's what I'm hoping that you're thinking, right? But here's the deal. Like when you think about like faith and you think about even taking a step of faith and all those things, and I, I get all the ladies in the room like, no, I'm thinking you're an idiot. That's what I'm thinking. Um, but as, I, as I'm walking and I'm forging ahead, the question is, is, is that a step of faith? And I would say, absolutely. A step of faith is when, when, you, when you move forward in something that, that seems a, a little bit sometimes treacherous, a little bit scary. That's, that's really the idea. But can I just help you understand, too, that the essence of my faith wasn't because I made a decision to step out onto something, the essence, the foundation of a person's faith is that what you step out on to holds. So the reality is, is that the measure of my faith wasn't me stepping out on ice. The measure of my faith was the ice and its thickness that it held me. And what I want you to understand is that as we, 
give you this charge this year, as we ask you to walk in faith, as we encourage you to move forward in your walk with Christ, as you grow in the areas that we are going to encourage you to grow in, what I'm not asking you to do is something lackadaisical. I'm not asking you to, oh, hey, just blissfully take a step out into some unknown abyss. What I'm asking you to do is to put your faith and ultimately to take steps in something that's concrete, that's tangible, that's real, that's reliable, and that is greater than a sheet of ice. And that, that foundational truth is found in the person, the work of Jesus Christ. It's found in his word. And so as we outline what faith looks like and ultimately how we encourage one another in our faith, we need to know that we can do that with something that's concrete and something that is, is ultimately fulfilling over the long term, that doesn't melt away, um, that lasts. And so as we think about that, let's read Colossians chapter 1. Paul is writing uh, to the church of Colossae here. Uh, the church of Colossae was a, was a group of people who um, had several different things that were kind of creeping into the church. Um, there were a handful of different uh, heretical teachings, some doctrinal challenges that Paul was addressing. And as Paul writes, he's likely in prison. He has also likely never met the people that he's writing to. And he's just wanting to encourage them because he's heard about their church. He's heard about their faith. And he's He's wanting to, in some ways, um, move them forward. And as an apostle, as one who's not only uh, met Jesus on the road to Damascus, but also as he's done the apostolic work of planting new churches and seeing things come to fruition, he wants this church to be encouraged. And so he prays for them. And this is what he shares with them, beginning in verse 9. He says, And so from the day we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So over the next three weeks, today and two more weeks, we're going to walk through our prayer as leaders, as elders for our church in 2022. This is going to be the basis of that prayer. A few weeks uh, from now, we're going to hop back into Romans chapter 8 and we're going to finish Romans. But for the next few weeks, I want to challenge you and as we think about this idea. Now, that's his prayer to the church of Colossae, but I want to look at just verses 9 and 10 this morning, and I want to really encourage you in a handful of things. If you look at verse 9, it says, and so from the day we heard, Paul says, since the day I heard about you, as we collectively have heard about you, he says, I've not ceased to pray for you. And what he's saying is, he goes, even though I hadn't been there, I hadn't met you, he goes, I've heard about you, and I'm I'm wanting to commend you. I'm wanting to celebrate you, but I'm also wanting to spur you on. As the Hebrew writer would write in Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25, that he would spur, uh, we would spur one another on towards love and good deeds as we await for the approaching of our king. That's what Paul is doing here. Which I would ask the question, just as you think about 2022, is, hey, how, how is your prayer life? Is that an area that you need to grow in? Who are you praying for? 
Are you praying for any people that you don't know? If not, why not? Is that an area that you should move forward in? And what is your plan to do uh, as you think about prayer? What steps are you going to take? Does that mean that you get you a notebook and you begin to write people's names down? Does that mean that you already have a little journal or you have a calendar that you keep? Do you just put some names in the margin that you consistently come back to? Um, what about people that you work with that, that you know um, that don't go to church and they don't know Jesus? Are you praying for them? That's what Paul is encouraging here as he says, hey, I'm praying for you. And then when he says not cease to pray for you, it means that night and day, day and night, you're on my mind. And that's this isn't just the church of Colossae. He, he'll say similar things to the church of Ephesus, or he'll say similar things to um, his cohorts and the people of the faith that he encourages, like Timothy. Um, he'll say similar things to the church of Philippi. You'll see it time and time again that he's praying for them continually. Friends, I would encourage you in that. And he says, and I'm asking, so specifically what he's praying for, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he, what is he praying for? He's not praying merely that they would be safe or that they would be comforted. He's not merely praying that they wouldn't get sick or have ailments. What he's saying is here, he goes, I'm specifically praying that you guys would grow in the knowledge of his will. Why? Because what Paul is addressing here, he goes, I know there are challenges that are creeping in among the culture. I know there are things that you are dealing with in this day and age. And he goes, and I'm praying that you'll be prepared to handle them. That you'll be prepared to know what, with what concrete, absolute truth is. That the foundation is not a mere sheet of ice that can crack. That the foundation is not something that melts away. But the foundation is a cornerstone. It's a pillar in your faith. And so he goes, I'm praying that you get knowledge that leads to all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, when he uses the word knowledge there, and this is a word we're going to focus on for a few moments, he uses the word here, epignosis. The word epignosis in the Greek is not a general knowledge. It's not the idea of gnosis, uh, which is what so many Gnostics wanted. The Gnostics wanted in some ways to escape the physical reality and have a spiritual um, reality that many people didn't believe existed for everyone. And so their thought was, if we can escape what's mortal and what's full of matter and we can have the spiritual rim, we can leave all this junk behind and have what's more spiritual, then we're, we're going to be the enlightened ones. In some ways, uh, it would be like the Buddhist approaches nirvana. Well, what Paul is saying, he goes, I'm praying that you get epignosis. And he doesn't use a word like gnosis that the Gnostics would be looking for. He's using this word as a precise, accurate view of knowledge. What he's saying is, I'm, I'm praying that you get the accurate truth, the precise knowledge. For instance, if you work with wood at all, um, there's what you would call framers, which they build a house. And then there's also, there's trim carpenters, which they do all your cabinets and trims and all the pretty things that you can see. Um, trim carpenters, they don't merely look at a set of cabinets and they go, you know what? Um, that looks like two foot. Just cut me, cut me something around 24 to 26 inches. It'll work. That's not what they do. They measure it precisely, right? Now listen, I, I'm by no means a craftsman. But a framer may go, hey, just cut me one, you know, it, if it's within a half an inch, it'll work, you know. They may not be, they don't care as much. They're going to cover it up with something, right? 
But the reality is what Paul is saying. He goes, I want you to have epignosis, a precise, accurate view of the truth. If you're off a half a degree here, that means that when you get further out, you're more than half a degree out. You're, you're, you're moving. The further you get away, the degrees matter. That's why if you're a trim carpenter, if you've done any trim work at all, if you're not precise, then it, it'll be seen. That's what Paul's saying. Now listen, here's how I arrive at a message today. And so just lean in with me. What I do, if I'm gonna give you this passage, I'm gonna take two verses, walk through it. And one of them is knowledge. And the second, we're gonna talk about what it looks like to walk uprightly. What I do is I take that particular word, epignosis. And then what I do is I begin to look for that word over and over again in the New Testament that Paul has used in similar ways. That's how I build a message, every single way. It's called exegeting. What I do is I take a word and I understand what it means in the original language. And then as I understand that, I can begin to not merely take a few verses and go, you know what, I think this is what he means, and then just speculate. I'm not just trying to give you an encouragement, like, oh, here's what he means, now go and do that. What I want you to know is what Paul means in context time and time and time again. And as I look at this idea of knowledge, epignosis, this accurate view of truth, I see time and time again how Paul uses the word to encourage other people, whether it's Timothy or to other churches. And that's what I want you to see real quick. And so I'm gonna kind of go a little bit quick, but remember, you can go get my notes. This is what he writes to his buddy, Timothy, who is the, the pastor of the church of Ephesus that's going to be encouraged. He writes this in his first letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says this, First of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires for people to be saved and to come to the knowledge, epignosis of the truth. What Paul is saying here to his buddy Timothy as when we think about this idea of, of knowledge is that it actually begins when? When people are saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Now, what's interesting about this is that Paul is writing to, to Timothy and he's going, hey, Timothy, what I encourage you to do, what's he say? I encourage you to be praying and in all ways, in supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings for all people. Isn't that interesting? Because Paul writes to the church of Colossae and he goes, ever since I've heard from you, about you, I've been praying for you. Now he's encouraging Timothy, his buddy in the faith, the pastor at Ephesus, and he's saying, hey, you need to be praying for everyone in all ways, with prayers, supplications, intercessions, thanksgiving. And then he says, and for kings and for those in high positions. And the question is, is what are you praying for? So in 2022, what are you praying for? And if nothing else, what should we be praying for? It appears that we should be praying for, if you look at the end of verse four, for people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, including people in high positions. You're not crazy about where things are going with our country? When's the last time you were on your knees for them? What are you praying for specifically that you would, you and I ought to be praying that leaders in our country would be saved and come to an epignosis of the truth. That they would understand wholeheartedly who really is in control. That democracy doesn't matter when you are in the kingdom of God. 
Friends, maybe you need to hear that. But that's what Paul is encouraging. And so here's what you need to know. This is the primary thing you need to hear is that our church, Stone Point Church, exists for this reason. And that is the people experience the goodness of the gospel and their salvation and the truth, the precise truth of God and his character. That is why we are here. That is why we are here. That is why we are the gathered body of believers here in this place is so that people would know the good of our Savior, that they would come to an accurate, precise knowledge of the truth, and then they would grow in the character of godliness. That's why we're here. If you are here for any other reason than that, then friends, you're gonna be disappointed. And the reason why is because we're not saying we exist to offer a variety of ministries for your family. Not why we exist. We're not here so that we can, can give you the most dynamic worship in Van Zandt County. It's not why we exist. We're not here because we have the best coffee, the best donuts, the best food, or the most hip artist. It's not why we're here. What are, why do we exist? Why are we here? It's so that people would come to an understanding of the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what Paul prays for the church of Colossae. That's why Timothy writes, or that's why Paul writes to his buddy Timothy. And so that people would understand that salvation brings a precise knowledge of the truth. Matter of fact, I would say that's where it all begins. If you remember uh, the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, it was interesting as Jesus ends uh, uh, just a conversation with him and saying this, that the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Friends, that's why we exist. So that people would come to a knowledge of the truth. But it's not merely that they would just come and see a knowledge of the truth, um, but it's that we would also be able to discern what the knowledge of truth looks like. Matter of fact, Paul um, is writing to the church of Rome. And look what he says about Jews there that he desires for them to come to the knowledge of truth. Now, this is Jewish people. Um, in Romans chapter 10, verse one, Paul says, brothers, my desire, my heart's desire in prayer to God for them is they may be saved. Do you see what he says there? He goes, I pray that Jews would be saved. And then he says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. He goes, they are zealous in their worship. But, and you could circle this word or make a very strong point here, but not according to knowledge. And he uses the word again, epignosis. Here's what he's saying. He goes, it's interesting that we are praying for the church of Colossae. And he goes, and I'm praying that you would come to a full, precise knowledge of the truth and all spiritual wisdom and understanding He's telling Timothy that we ought to be praying for leaders in all places. They come to a full knowledge and understanding. And then he's saying, and then there's the Jews. And he goes, and I'm praying the Jews the same thing. And he goes, but that's not what they have. Because he goes, they have a great zeal for God, but they don't have epignosis, an accurate view. Now, friends, let me ask you a question. Do we live in a society where people are sincere in their worship? And say, I would say, yes, absolutely we do. Matter of fact, what I would say is this, and I think what Paul is trying to note to the church of Rome is that if you're sincere in your worship, you can still be sincerely wrong. For instance, think about the Mormon. Are they devout? The Jehovah's Witness, as they meet in the park together, then only to go and knock on your door, are they, are they sincere? Are they devout? Yeah, what about the Buddhist, the Hindu? 
Devout? Absolutely. Paul says, listen, there are Jews that are devout. They're sincere, but he goes, in their devotion, they're missing the epignosis, the knowledge of the truth. Friends, I want you to realize that zeal and knowledge are not the same. What am I encouraging in? Here's what I want you to understand. We exist so that you and I can come to a full knowledge of God's word and his truth. What I want you to understand is there's a distinction between knowing God's truth and also being filled with zeal. The goal is not to come in here and to raise our hands and to shout and ultimately to to be filled with all these emotions if it's based on a sheet of ice. And I think what's happening is there's so many people in our culture, they're, they're looking for zeal and sincerity, but ultimately what they believe in is, is melting away. The point of this is that our devotion to Christ and our zeal for him and our daily life grows when we come to a more accurate understanding of who God is and what he desires for us. Does that make sense? That's our prayer for you. Our prayer is that you would not merely be a person of external worship, but that you would be a person who is being transformed from the inside out. That we're not basing the success of our time together with whether or not um, it looks one way. That the reality is that the thing that we care about most is heart transformation. That we see people who were once walking in darkness and now they walk in light a different way. That's the idea. That's what Paul is talking about here, which I just want you to realize that we have something that we're up against. Look what Paul says to Timothy um, about this idea of knowledge. In 2 Timothy 3, 7, he says, there are people who are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. No lie. Having lunch with a couple of guys a week, a week of Christmas, we're having some conversation about God's word, the gospel, um, different things, have a Jehovah's Witness slide something on our table as men because they want us to, to know what they know. When's the last time that you slid a piece of paper over to someone to say, hey, let me tell you what I know? When's the last time that you prayed for a waitress that you see time and time again? When's the last time that you had a conversation and you told somebody about the truth that you know? Because what I want you to understand is that there are people who they are learning always, but they're never able to come to the epignosis, the accurate view of the truth. What is Paul saying here to Timothy? He goes, listen, you live in a day and age. We live in a day and age where people in sincerity are looking for something to fill them. But friends, we know According to the scripture, there is only one thing that fulfills, and that is Christ, which is why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And listen, when we take on Christ, we are not merely taking on a guy who is a prophet or a good man. We are taking on a man who is not merely a prophet, not merely a good man because he was perfect, but we are taking on who is full deity, and he is God. And he came to us while we were helpless and weak in the form of a baby, to grow up in perfection, to die in excruciating sinful death, not because he was a sinner, but because he was made like one, because his father punished him so that we might have eternal life. That's the accurate knowledge. Who are you sharing with? Who are you sharing that with? Which is why Paul writes to the church of Ephesians. Look what he says to them about why we need 
each other. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus, which if I remind you, Timothy, his buddy, was the pastor of. And look what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, and he's talking about to the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until, underline the word until, we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. You see that? He goes, I've given you leaders in the local church. I've given you people who are equipping the saints for the work of ministry until, what, we, we grow up, we're built up, we're unified, and we grow in an accurate, precise knowledge of the Son of God. Friends, how are you doing there? How, how do you even quantify that? How do you qualify? Well, what does it look like to be built up and to have the knowledge of the Son of God? Well, he goes on. He says, because you're, what, you're growing up to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. How, how do you go a step further? You go, okay, well, how do I know when I'm mature? And he says this, so that you're no longer being children tossed to and fro by the waves of, of, of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. If you were to interpret that in the Greek, he's literally saying that you are not duped by dice-playing cheaters. Remember the school days? Throwing dice in the hallway, in the locker room, right? Y'all probably never did that. <laughs> Thankful for, for your, uh, your holiness. <laughs> but isn't it, isn't it a problem when you get duped by cheaters? Isn't it a problem when somebody slides the ace card up their hand? Paul says, when you arrive at the real knowledge of the truth, the accurate firm foundation of who God is, he goes, you don't get deceived. Which is why I would say you and I need the church. Now, what I'm not saying is that you need an incredible expositor and you need a pastor who feeds you every single Sunday. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you need the body of Christ and you need people who help build you up to be all that God desires, so that you come to the full knowledge of truth so you're able to discern rightly that you're not deceived, and that you grow up. Matter of fact, here's what I want you to realize. The knowledge that we're talking about, I don't think can be attained apart from the church. I don't think it's separate from the church. So this whole idea begins at salvation. This whole idea um, of, of knowledge is not the same thing as zeal, but I also want you to realize that it's not attained on your own. You don't see that in scripture. What you see is this knowledge is a part of the church. It's not separate. Look at verse 12. This whole idea is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Do you see saints there? It's plurality, isn't it? So why do you have these leaders? It's to equip the body. So do you realize that you and I don't grow in this knowledge apart from one another? It's for the building up of the body, which has many parts. You see that in verse 12? Until we... Look at the word all, plurality, all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, which then helps us guard against false theology. I think you could go a little further and, and say, hey, so this knowledge prepares you for a life of ministry. It guards you against false theology. It leads you, verse 13b, it leads you to maturity in your faith. And look, it keeps you from being led astray. Do you see this? That's why we need this knowledge. Can I just throw a tent stake in it? Look what Paul writes to, 2 Timothy, uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look what he says. 
He says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. You could underline or circle, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And the question is, why? why? Why do you do this? Why are you kind? Why are you patient? Why do you teach? Why do you correct? Why do you do that with gentleness? So that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Wow! You mean God puts people in my life. He cares so much about me as your pastor that he would put people in my life who would correct me with gentleness so that I'm not led astray, so I don't walk out on a sheet of ice that's not four inches thick and fall through it. Yes, that's what he does for me. God's loving kindness. He gives me the body of Christ and he gives people who love me so much that they correct me, that they're gentle with me. They admonish me. They care for me. They correct me. They teach me. They shape me. They mold me. And they use God's word to do that. Isn't that an incredibly good gift from God? Yes. Friends, that's the local church. What I am telling you is that you cannot, and I will challenge you this, give me one, one, one. Just give me one. Can you give me one? Give me one New Testament example. One, that's all. I'm not asking for two, three, four, five, or six. One, give me one example of a New Testament believer that does life on their own. Just give me one. If you can do that, I'll leave you alone about community. But until you can do that, then you need to stop living in isolation because Proverbs 18.1 says, he who lives in isolation breaks out against all sound judgment. What that means is, is that if you're not growing in the knowledge of God's word and his truth, in real discerning, accurate truth, precision with God's people, the Bible's telling you that you're a fool. Is that strong enough? Not because I'm trying to be mean, but because I love you. We are fools if we try to do this thing called the spiritual walk alone. It's not to be intended that way. Why? Because look what Paul writes. Y'all with me? I'm just getting started, friends. Are y'all bored? Because listen, here's what he says. He goes, listen, I, I am encouraging you to grow in the knowledge of all spiritual wisdom understanding. Let's go back to Colossians Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So why do we grow in the knowledge of wisdom and understanding? Why do we grow in such a precise way? Because it matters. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is, is he doesn't stop there. And that's, this is our prayer for you. Our prayer for you is that you don't stop there. It's not about just growing in the knowledge of God's word. It's not about you just reading God's word and then also enjoying devotionals that a church puts together for you. It's not just about being in your daily devotional and and a couple of verses a day. That's not the idea here. The idea is a precise truth so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing, look what he says, again, in the knowledge of God. Now, when he uses the word walk here, he used the word peripateo, which literally means to walk uprightly and to conduct oneself in a manner that's pure and that's straight. Now, what is interesting here, and that's what I would ask you, 
is how do you quantify walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? What does that look like? How do I know? How do I know that I'm walking in a way that pleases God? You hear it all the time. I hope that when I die, that someone says to me that I lived a faithful life. And more than that, I hope that I stand before God and he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Which I just want to quantify that real quickly. How do you know that God's going to say that to you? Like, how, how do we, like, why? Like, why is God going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Like, we see, we see Jesus get off the throne, um, really on very few occasions. One of them was to stand for Stephen at his martyrdom, uh, which happened in Acts chapter 7. Other than that, like, we don't see any other example in the Scripture where he would go, oh, well, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Like, we don't see a whole lot of that. So how do you quantify that? Well, I would quantify that, I guess, in a way that Paul is trying to say, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So it's the idea to conduct yourself wisely, peripateo, walking uprightly. Okay, so if you're going to walk uprightly, then the question is, is what does that look like? Well, it seems to be that, that you're growing in the knowledge of the truth, there's nothing lacking in your life, and that you're walking worthy of the Lord. Now, what's interesting, too, is here, and, and then I'm about to pick up speed, okay? If we're walking, it implies that we're not sitting. Would, is that fair? Because the word peripateo means that you're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, which is interesting because if Paul wanted you to grow in full knowledge of the gospel and to sit, he would have said that. True? So I I don't want to get to preaching here, but I do want you to understand that if we just, just very simple qualifications and quantifications here, I don't think that you're going to be able to say, the Lord's going to look at you and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, if you're not growing in the knowledge of truth and you're not walking in him. And if you're not walking in him, then you're sitting in him. And I think, isn't that oftentimes the cliche? Hey, why don't you just sit at the feet of Jesus? What does that mean? I understand resting in Christ. I also understand resting in his work. So we're not working because we're earning our salvation. But resting in him also doesn't mean being lazy. Because you don't see that commendation in Scripture. The reality is that you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are to be moving. The idea is that if... If you're sitting, then what's happening? And so I would just encourage you, what, how, how are you growing? Not only the knowledge of God's word, but how are you walking in him? That seems to be the implication here. Look what Paul's prayer to the church of Philippi is. Philippians chapter one, very similar prayer. Look what he says. And it is my prayer, as he prays for the church of Philippi, that you, your love may abound more and more with knowledge. He used the word epignosis and all discernment so that you may approve or that you would test what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. It implies here that you and I would be able to say what Paul said to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which would be my question to you as you enter 2022. How many of you with full confidence because of the precision of you knowing God's word, discerning God's word, imparting God's word, and walking in such blamelessness before him that you could look to your friends and say, follow me this year. Hey, buddy, follow me. Follow me. I'm gonna give you a picture of what it looks like to walk in an upright manner. If you can't say that, why not? If you're sitting, why not run the race? Which, at the very least, if you're sitting and you're not growing, or if you're growing and you're sitting, 
It's not the complete picture. Which I just want to challenge you real quick on this. And then I'll move on, and I'm talking at lightning speed. It does baffle me that one of the common things I've heard in the church over the years, from particularly people as they grow older in their faith and more, I guess you would call mature, I I see immaturity because of what they say, it says that we get older, it's like, well, I've done my part, I'm going to kind of give this away to the younger people. I just can't see that. I can't see Paul, the apostle, doing that. I can't see him going, you know what? I've planted a few churches. I've been on missionary journeys. I can't see him going, you know what? I'm just going to give that to someone else. I don't see that. When you walk in a man worthy of the gospel, it means that to the glory of God and for the good of others, until the Lord takes you home, you are about his business, which baffles me because What happens is, is the older we get, the more we slack off in our faith. And the question is, if you desire for God to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, it seems the older we get, the more we would know God's word. It seems the older we get, the more we would pour ourselves out for the good of others in the local church. Which is crazy because I often talk to people and the older they get, they just say, you know what, I've done my time. I have talked to people here who helped us plant this church and they, they really gave of themselves really well for the first couple of years. And they go, hey, I did my time. Please show that to me in God's word. That's all I ask. Show it to me in God's word. Have you done your time? Have we done our time? When is your time done? That's what it means to grow in the knowledge of God's word and walk in him. So let me just wrap up with this. Um, in Ephesians, Paul uses this word walk, peripateo, seven times. Now we're starting the book of Ephesians tomorrow. Actually today, you could go and grab it. Um, It's gonna be in the Stone Point News, a full reading plan as we walk through reading through God's word and and the epistles this this year. Um, As we're gonna do that, we're starting with Ephesians. And the first devotional comes out on Tuesday. But look at just, just Ephesians. The seven times Paul uses the word peripateo, to walk uprightly, to conduct yourself in a manner that pleases God. Look at the seven times he uses it. And and then I'm gonna go super fast. So here it is, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to walk, is what he said. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. So what does it mean to to walk with the Lord? He goes, at the very least, it means to be made alive in Christ. So you can't walk the way you used to walk. You have to walk in a new way. Um, Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. The next chapter over, Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Walk in what? The good works in which he prepared beforehand. Before what? Before he called us to himself, he was already preparing us for himself, which means at the very least, we ought to do what he wants us to do. So you were recreated for a purpose. So you are made alive in Christ and you're recreated to be walking in Christ. You're his ambassador. So where are you serving? How are you blessing the kingdom? Look at Ephesians chapter four, verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Almost a similar phrase that he uses to the church of Colossae. What does that mean? It means walk in your purpose. How in the world do I walk in my purpose? Which is the lifelong question. Well, how do I know what I'm doing, what God wants me to do? Listen, uh, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to where, wherever you live, work, or play to honor him. Pour concrete, honor Christ. Teach kids, 
honor Christ. Coach athletes, honor Christ. Your business person, hey, be above board, honor Christ. Hey, you work for the government? Well, quit standing around. We're paying you. <laughs> Honor Christ. The point is, it doesn't matter where you live, work, and play. The key is, is that where you live, work, and play, you would honor Christ. That's what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. If I offended you, I will personally seek your forgiveness after this. Ephesians chapter four, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentile do in the futility of their minds. The idea here is that when you walk uprightly, you leave childish things behind. You grow up. Ephesians chapter five, verses one and two. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Paul says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering is sacrifice to God. The point is to be imitators of God. How do you do that? In love. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight. For at one time you were in darkness. Not in darkness, you were darkness. But now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. It implies here, and Paul does to the church of Ephesus, that when you walk uprightly, you don't walk in the darkness. You're not isolated, you're not by yourself. You walk in the light. Why? Because Christ walked in the light. So here's the question. What are your sin struggles? Does anybody know it? When's the last time you confessed it? I can just tell you straight up, my community knows that if there's one thing that the enemy's gonna use as my ditch, my crush to take me out of ministry, they know what it is. What about you? Listen, our church isn't gonna be surprised one day if I stand up on the stage and go, hey, listen, I gotta step back because I'm in this sin. Why? Because my, my people know what it is that I struggle with. You should too. When's the last time, by God's grace, for the glory of God, you're walking so uprightly that you said, listen, here's where I've stumbled. This is where I've fallen. Hey, can I just tell you that I am chained right now to sexual sin and I want you to know it? Not because I'm proud of it, but because God's working in me and I want you to learn from it. Friends, parents, when's the last time that you told your kids explicitly the truth about your dating relationships and the way that you miss the mark so that they don't? When's the last time that as parents, you stop hiding all the garbage of your life and you bring it out and you go, listen, I'm walking in a new life in Christ. This is something that I'm not proud on. I, I wanna protect you from these things and I love you and I wanna give you a good path to walk uprightly and in the light. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what the church is. That's not what the church has become. The church has become clean yourself up, look pretty. If you look the part, you can be the part. That's not what the church is. It never was that. It's not intended to be that, but we are intended to walk in the light. And more than that, Ephesians chapter five, verse 15, Paul says, and this is the last time he uses this, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So he goes, walk wisely. You wonder, well, how in the world do I know if I'm walking wisely? Well, I love the fact that the psalmist writes in Psalm one, chapter, chapter one, verses one and two, what, what wisdom looks like. Here's what he says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Do you see what he just did there? He just gave you the plan for walking wisely in 2022. You want to walk wisely? He goes, don't hang out with fools. Don't, don't make that your playground. And more than that, discover the truth of God's word and delight in it. So what, what is Paul's prayer for the church of Colossae? He goes that you would grow in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and that you would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. See what he did there? That's, that's, that's your Bible. That's the core 
of why we exist. So here's our prayer for you in 2022. One is that we would grow in the knowledge of God, his word and his will. That's our prayer for you. As elders of our body, we pray that you'd grow in his knowledge, that you'd be strengthened in your personal walk with Jesus, that you would lean on and learn from his church. Friends, that you would go all in, that you would get in. You're not in, get in. Get in, serve, belong, get in community. Our walk with Jesus would be evident to others and that you would walk wisely. That's our prayer. If you don't belong, hey, we encourage you to consider belonging. If you don't want to belong here, find a place to belong. Walk wisely, love richly, learn deeply, not so that you can sit, but so that you can walk uprightly. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Lord, what a challenging text to all of us. I pray that my friends are not discouraged, but encouraged. And so, Father, I pray that you would move us in your will and way and help us as we move into a new year, not to set goals and aspirations and dreams that we can't meet, but ultimately to set goals and dreams and aspirations that are led by you and ultimately that can be fulfilled when we walk in your truth. Father, would you help us? All we desire is to make you famous in our lives and throughout the earth. That we may hear you say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. If we're off course, I pray you'd get us on course. In Jesus' name, amen.